HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area. And we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio. And we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's and their studio. Because they talk to people who are, are serious about food. And that's what we are at Fairway is we're serious about food. We, we just care very deeply about, about you as a, as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain. And, and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio because it, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to, to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it and, and care about learning everything there is to learn about it. And that's, that's we're kindred spirits. If it's something worth having in your kitchen, you're going to find it at, at Fairway. And if there's somebody worth talking to about food, you're going to find them on Heritage Radio, and we will be supporting you guys for a long, long time. At Fairway, I'm your personal grocer, Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today's guest, Brooks Headley, pastry chef at Four Store Del Posto Restaurant in New York City. But there's a twist. He's not just a pastry chef. He was a member of one of the preeminent political punk hardcore bands in the 1990s, Born Against. For those of you that don't know Born Against, uh... Brooks, can you kind of explain the type of music that was playing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I don't, I don't even really know. Like, uh, Born Against was like who they were at the time. Um, uh, kind of like, like in retrospect, like throughout the throughout the years, like, I mean, at the time we we were like, we felt like we had like a very small, 
group of people that really got us and liked our band and liked the music and stuff. But uh, like as years go by, like people, I hear a lot more like, oh yeah, Born Against was my favorite band. Yeah, which which was true. I mean, it was true for me because when before I joined the band, it, they were my favorite band. So. Yeah. And what band did you play with prior? Uh, no, nothing really. I was in a, like some local bands and and outside of Baltimore. Um, nothing really noteworthy. And then uh, basically found out that Born Against needed a drummer. And it was one of those sort of like eureka moments where I had no means or capabilities or anything to become the drummer of Born Against. Oh, actually, we got a, we got a phone call. Hello, caller. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't happen often, so I'm not used to actually talking to callers. Who is this? Uh, it's Sam. Hi, Nick Sam. Peters. And for those of you who don't know who Sam McFeeders is, he was the singer of Born Against. Uh, thank you so much for giving a call in. Um, I actually happened to see that you're also a journalist and wrote a lovely little piece about Brooks in the Village Voice. I made Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you mean in music and in food? Across the board. <laughs> Excellent. I believe anything you say, so keep it coming. Um well, one, thank you for bringing Born Against to the world. Um, yeah, thanks, Sam. Yeah. Thanks <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you get that all the time. I don't like the tone that this interview is taking. <laughs> you know, we could just hang up on you. <laughs> but I actually wanted to talk to you partially about the music, but also about the food. Um, one, Born Against in the 90s, uh, touring around the country. Brooks was actually just telling me that when you guys were on the road, Food kind of controlled your lives. Uh, if you were making like two hundred bucks for the night, you know, like three fourths of that, hundred fifty bucks, sometimes was spent on lunch. Now, is this true? Uh, if he says it's true, it's probably true. <laughs> it's it was not my decision. I would have spent like a dollar on food, uh, but that was my life and my burden. There was a lot of good eating that I didn't always partake in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people don't know that uh, some of the kind of punk culture was based in veganism and vegetarianism. Were you either? Oh, yeah. Uh, Everyone was uh, very vegetarian um, in that band. I'm sure that was a precondition. Hey, did we ask you, Brooks? Was that like a thing? Like, was there a meeting? like Like to see if I was vegetarian or not? I think there was, wasn't there? No, I, I think it was just, I think it was just assumed that I was vegetarian. Like there would be no question yeah. at all. It would have been a problem, though, right? No, it would have been, it would have been a massive problem, you know. <laughs> um, I remember that, and I, I remember going to every Whole Foods everywhere, and a lot of times me just being mad at someone and sitting sulking out in the van, <laughs> and then yes. that anger continuing as everyone ate nice food around me. And then I would have to eat something at the gas station later. Right, but that was that was that was your choice. <laughs> yes. So I mean, uh, Brooks was also saying that you know, uh, when on the road, you'd stop at Piggly Wiggly and uh, you know other interesting dives, chains, diners, and find something to eat. Though, what what was the primary source of nutrition, if there was any? Well, like I mean, if you went to like a grocery store, like in the middle of nowhere. And you were going to go back to someone's house to cook, then I don't know what we'd get like potatoes or, or like tomatoes or something and make pasta or something like that, you know? Yeah, that always infuriated me. There was so much <laughs> cooking and everyone was so jolly about it. I, and I had, um, I was in a band after Born Against 
And on our first tour, this was in 96, I brought a, like a cooler, like a picnic cooler with me, like a plastic cooler. And I was like, all right, this is it. But I didn't, I, mean, I still didn't know. I hadn't learned anything about cooking. I was like, well, what do I bring? And this is the morning before we're leaving. So I brought a potato. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is, this is a start. Like, I'll make this potato. And then I was just mocked and, and uh, <laughs> someone uh, wrote a poem about the potato, like first person from the potato's perspective to me it got really bad yeah and that just reinforced like i wish i'd never tried you know so that that was kind of what had been going through my mind previously in born against was uh fear of ridicule I didn't really sidestep. um now with your music too did you ever write songs or sing about food or food culture the only song that i know that was Slightly related was "Well Fed Fuck," which isn't necessarily about food, but <laughs> or is it? I, I think or that's it. it. I, I don't know. Do you know any Brooks? I don't think we did. No, there was no songs about food, which uh, you know, I, I guess maybe at the time I was kind of probably upset about. Well, uh, we had that complaint box for you. And <laughs> I checked it once a week. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Lint. Yeah, I was very shy. Yeah. Then Sam, what would you say the majority of Born Against Music was about? I'm I don't mean like cultural zeitgeist. I mean like it it was very political. Um it was kind of, you know, that against the grain, against the man uh music. Uh could you like further define Born Against songs are kind of like if it's 1971 and there's a big fat hippie guy who's done a lot of mess and he's like, I'm going to write crazy political songs and then it's just sort of like crazy time for everybody. Yeah. So that's, that's my memory of it. Cool. But just faster and louder. Yeah, that's, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's good. I like that. Excellent. And are you still involved in music at the moment? Me? Yes. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no. Are you still? I, I was going to go see my wife's cover band play actually at the UOA show, which was still called the UOA show after UOA didn't play. Uh, oh, really? Here in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago, and I hadn't been to a show in six months, and I was kind of dreading it. And then I had to have this um, weird benign lump surgically removed from my hand, so I was high on Vicodin for the whole <laughs> weekend, and uh, it was a perfect, perfect excuse. So I haven't and, been to a show in at least a year, I think. And UOA was pretty good. Tony was on point. UA was great, man. You got you guys were awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. So I mean, you're still interested and still follow music and bands, but just aren't partaking in one at the moment. Actually, no, I, I don't. I don't. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't care at all about music, and it took a couple years to figure out that that should not freak me out, and that was the way life was going to be. Um, I mean, I. I the music that I listen to now is just the, the shittiest, worst techno. I have no respect for myself, and that's all I listen to is I, uh, what Pandora. I got that, and then I just listen to the, the drum and bass station. It's awful. Um, that's Why do all you do I that listen to. Yourself? Yeah, but no, you, you've been going down that road for a couple of years now, so mm-hmm. you finally like embraced it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that I didn't really figure this out a long time ago, but yes, now I've embraced it. I'm I'm out. <laughs> you hear, you heard it here first. Um, I want to go back to that article in the Village Voice that you wrote about Brooks because, I mean, it was absolutely glowing of seeing. Actually, fl- you talking about the uh, the article I wrote was for Vice and then Vice, the Village sorry, Voice yeah. did a little write up of it. Yeah, um, for Vice. I mean, it was absolutely glowing. Um, maybe not just because you knew Brooks, but uh, 
you had seen him in one genre, one field, and moved into another, but with the same kind of, you know, emphatic um, and frenetic nature, the same kind of prowess. Um, have you dined at Del Posto? Have you visited Brooks? <laughs> I have eaten my grand total of what I've eaten at Del Posto is a, a little half-egg cup of tiramisu, which I know I'm not pronouncing right. No, you nailed it, man. You had some sorbet. I had some sorbet. I didn't even. I, yeah, I don't even think I gave you any. Oh, pasta I, no! I stole a handful of carob chips when you weren't looking. <laughs> Wait, carob chips? Wait, weren't they? I don't know. <laughs> you have carob chips? They're um, on the floor. They were I, No, that's a joke. I'm joking. <laughs> would, Actually, there are. There, I do have some carob, but uh, yeah, that's that's a couple years ago. So, well, yeah. that makes sense. So that's what, what's there. that? Three things. That's what I've eaten at Del Posto. And are you still vegetarian? Uh, I eat fish. So I'm a pescatarian. I was talking to Brooks too because that's often the question of someone coming from the, you know, punk culture whether or not they've actually continued on in those ways. And uh, Brooks was saying that you know he kind of is a vegetarian. I can, can, I, yeah, like I, um, if especially in the like the the food world and like hang, and like being around other chefs and stuff, like like meat becomes this like huge deal, which I find kind of repulsive. So. Even yeah. though I do occasionally eat meat, but not that often, more as like a condiment, um, I kind of like revert back to like sort of my contrarian vegetarianism, almost just to piss them off, I guess. <laughs> now, wait, right there, that's what I'm, that's the gist of the article, meat is a condiment? This isn't like the 22nd century. What does that mean? <laughs> meat isn't a condiment. Yes, it's, 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 it's very, uh, it, it's like sort of like a very Italian way of eating, which is like mainly vegetables. And if you're going to have some meat, it's going to be very sparingly and almost as an accoutrement to the vegetables, you know, as part of the experience. So, Sam, does this sound like the same Brooks you used to know? So far over my head. I just feel like I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. I, just, I feel dumb. <laughs> no, but my, it- my breakfast was a yogurt with grapes thrown in, and the act of washing the grapes and putting them, moving, physically moving them from the sink the bowl it's like oh my god (laughs) so much work you know what's funny though it's like i always thought that there was a big diy movement you know punk message of you know uh, being able to be self-sustainable uh i mean it transferred into brooks and cooking did you ever then try to although but that's funny it's not really self-sustainable it's like i cook but it's i cook for a restaurant yeah for the guests like i don't actually ever cook for myself anymore even though like i kind of got into it because cooking was my hobby and i was really into food but uh you know my apartment now i don't even have any silverware like <laughs> i i haven't cooked something for myself at home in months 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 so even like sam talking about like opening up the yogurt and throwing the grapes in that's that like, much I'm, more than you do yeah I, I wouldn't even go that far so that makes me feel better so what are your hours now brooks are you still on crazy like 15 hour days no, I mean, uh, it depends. It depends on the day. Um, usually, it's it's like hovering right around like 12 or 13 right now, so yeah. um, half day. <laughs> I mean, when you guys were on the road, too, those were 15-hour days. Well, those were 24-hour days. Yeah. Those were three weeks. Yeah. 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 That wasn't, there was no, like, there was no getting off. There was no day off there. Yeah. Know, so. so do you feel like being in a punk band in the 90s actually helped you uh, do the workload of cooking in new york today uh i mean I, I i i like to make comparisons to that but that's 
just when I'm kind of like losing my mind at like the 13th hour, like, like, oh yeah, it's just like being on tour. It's like, no, it's not be- like being on tour. Like, <laughs> no, stuck in a basement. Being on tour is a lot more fun. So. Yeah. Yeah. So why that transition from music to cooking? Um, I mean, for it, it was completely accidental. Um, I just, I just happened to get a job at a really good restaurant in DC. Yeah. Um, Which restaurant? Uh, it was called Galileo. It was 1999. So it was the best Italian restaurant in DC. And I basically just fell into the job and, but like literally instantly the second I walked in the door of the kitchen, like knew like, Oh yeah, I, this is, this is it. This is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. So. Yeah. And from Galileo, where else did you work? Um, I worked at a couple other places in DC and then I moved to Los Angeles for a couple of years to, it was kind of funny because I moved there for two very, very specific reasons. One was to do Wrangler Brutes, which was the second band that Sam and I did together. Yeah. Um, but also I moved there specifically to work at a restaurant called Campanile, um, which at the time was uh, co-owned by Nancy Silverton. Who yeah, was, and Mark Peel was cooking yeah, at the yeah, time. Like, yeah, that's, this, this would have been like 2004. Hey, and, my phone's about to die. I'm going to call right back. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Sam. iPhones. Great. Classic. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. But... um. But no, it's funny. I specifically moved there for both of those reasons. And, and somehow, and I don't understand how, I was able to do both of those things. Like, I was able to, to do Wrangler Brutes for two years. And we recorded a bunch of songs, put out a bunch of records, went on tour a bunch. But at the same time, I was able to also work for about a year at Campanile and basically, like, get as much out of that experience as I could, which was the reason I went there was to go work for Nancy Silverton, yeah. you know, she's like the, you know, she's like the ultimate person in terms of bread and desserts. Like, yeah, I, mean, like, I was going to say like the fairy godmother, but she's a little more badass than that. Yeah. She's totally badass. Yeah. So. I mean, her books, Nancy Silverton's breads, Nancy Silverton's pastries are like two staples of my cookbook library. No, of course. Those are amazing books. And like her first dessert cookbook and um, even like, I mean, everything, all of her stuff, like, I was actually just looking the other day at, um, she put out the sandwich cookbook. Um, I, think, oh, I haven't seen I think that in, one a, yet. in either 2003 or 2004, but it's, um, I was looking at it the other day and it's genius. It's brilliant. It's an awesome cookbook. Like it basically documents, um, what they were doing at Campanile at the time, which was every Thursday they would have this thing called sandwich night. So they wouldn't really have a la carte, um, dinner service. They would just have sandwiches. Um, and it was kind of based on this one grilled cheese sandwich, which was, insanely simple it was just her bread from la brea bakery with with gruyere cheese grilled in like a cast iron panini press you know and it was that was like the original sandwich and then they had a bunch of other different sandwiches that branched off from that um but they put out a cookbook documenting it which is cool when i think about it because it's it's totally like kind of like this discord thing like they were documenting something that was happening at the time yeah and you know if you look back at like you know like a great like discord record like flex your head or a compilation like that or something like and it, it, it's totally stood the test of time like the songs are still good and the aesthetics of the the record are still good and everything about it is still good and like i was i'm looking at nancy's sandwich book from what six or seven years ago at work the other day i'm flipping through it and like the font that they chose for the text in in the book is still totally relevant doesn't look dated the photos still look really good the introductions of each of the recipes are still totally solid, aren't like cheesy or, or uh, dated in any way. So like I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wow, this has totally stood the test of time. And like, that's pretty, 
I mean, that can be difficult for a cookbook because there's so much that goes into like putting out a cookbook that has nothing to do with the food or documenting like something that's going on. It might be like, you know, it might be about money. It might be about th- this other reason it might be about like selling a bunch of books or whatever. And like, so it's, it's like the commerce aspect and then the sort of the artistic aspect, like, like the balance is really weird, you know? So yeah. Sam, did you hear all that? We have you back on the line. I caught, I caught half that, yeah. Excellent. Uh, he was just talking about, you know, oddly enough, Discord Records having all these albums that came out that stood the test of time, um, and how that was kind of equivalent to cookbooks, uh, certain ones. Never sp- in my wildest dreams would I have imagined as a grown-ass man, I still would be discussing Discord Records, and that still <laughs> would be like the pivotal reference point well, it's, it's quality for everything yeah. else in life. No, it's totally true. It is completely the... P- the pivotal thing like i mean like uh you can't like even compare any other like music or anything like without like taking it back to fucking discord records you know see that's great but when does that end it I does mean, I, apparently i don't think it when does i'm in the point. hospice where like this is the discord <laughs> records of hospices <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, marginal man death <laughs> rattle <laughs> but i mean isn't that the point it, it wasn't that part of the point of why you guys were playing music at the time to be heard and hopefully you know mark history uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, no 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 i mean that a big part of why people are in bands is uh especially punk bands is because that is the best show in town i'm not saying that uh as a pejorative i mean that's it really is it's but it's the funnest thing that you can do um, I doubt there are that many people that put really lofty goals on what they're doing, except maybe after the fact. Cool. Well, we're actually going to take a quick break, Sam. If you could stay on the line, that'd be fantastic. Apparently, I stole the show. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm happy to have you on. Next time, we got to get you in studio. We're actually going to play a little bit of, I think, of Discord record stuff. Um, for the break, we'll be right back. <laughs> That was a little sampling of Born Against, actually. Live show from, I think, 1993 that we found. Um, yeah, it was actually in, in Washington, D.C. We were, we were playing at a, uh, a place. It was called the Mountain Lodge. It was like, it's kind of like a coffee oh, shop yeah. or something. But it was, uh, it was really, really small. And that's kind of been my gold standard for like a good show, be it punk, rock, or any kind of music, is... It's got to be in like a really small space. It's got to be uncomfortable. There has to be some sort of weird commerce in the back. Like I think they were selling cookies, which didn't make <laughs> any sense. Like who was going to eat cookies at a 
at a born again show. Vegan cookies. No, I don't. I, yeah. I don't even think they were specifically vegan because the people that ran the venue really had nothing to do with the bands. Like it was just like our friends like found this spot and then they had shows there and it was and it was ridiculous and small and and you know we probably got paid like like forty bucks or something. So <laughs> it's funny that you say. Um like your canon of a good show is this small, uncomfortable space, but you work in Del Posto, which is kind of like uh, the exact opposite. It's, I mean, it's a freaking megalith. It's humongous. True. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a very, very, very enormous, big restaurant. That is yeah, but at the same time, you don't get those kind of comforts. Uh, you work in the basement for the most part. Well, yeah, in the basement, and then I uh, you know, have my apartment upstairs where service happens and the plates go out, so... It's it's I mean it's very uh, it's very nice it's very comfortable it's very temperate um, it's a beautiful beautiful pretty big basement I can say that right <laughs> yeah no it's a huge freaking basement it's, yeah um, but I want to talk a little about about Del Poso because oddly I also think it's an ideal space for you to be in because of all the things that a lot of diners don't know about um, the composting the recycling the biodiesel the certified green um, aspect of the restaurant feels very allegorical to punk culture. Well, no, yeah, it's funny. Like when, when I first started there two and a half years ago, all of their um, sort of green initiatives had just kind of started. Like, so, you know, they had the composting, they had the, the biodiesel station hadn't been set up yet. These like weird, like hippie dudes showed up one day and set up the station in the back. And like, you know, we actually, I mean, we, we have seven full-size fryers in the restaurant, and the oil gets switched out a lot. So all of that gets transferred into biodiesel at the restaurant, and it fills up two company vehicles. Um, but uh, it's funny because there was um, there was a woman that worked at the restaurant that, that no longer works there, and her her job was to kind of like get all of these green initiatives started and and have them work at the restaurant, like the all that stuff, the composting, the recycling, etc. But uh, it would just, I would just giggle the whole time because it's like, I was like, oh yeah, like, I mean, this is stuff that like, you know, was like super important to us, you know, 16 years prior or whatever. And yeah. Like, it's like, oh, you know, like, oh, they just, fi- they just, they just figured this out. Like, oh, oh, that, that's cute, you know. Yeah. But I mean, on the road, you guys ate like crap too. I mean, it wasn't like you were eating farm to table stuff. Uh, it wasn't like you were trying to look for the local green markets. No, no. I mean, at not, no, I mean, not green markets, but like. I remember, and this was actually post Born Against. This was more like a like Young Pioneers era. But I remember like Young Pioneers were on tour, and we we got to California, and um, and Adam, the uh, the singer and guitarist, was sort of like so committed to this kind of thing that like we got to the Bay Area, and he was like, "All right, we're not going to go to any Whole Foods. We're only going to small places. Like we're only going to mom and pop health food stores." Yeah, and we all kind of agreed, like, "Okay, yeah, all right." And this was like you know, Whole Foods wasn't like a, a, even like a big thing at that point. Yeah. So. I, I think it was still like bread and circus too at a point before they got bought out. Um, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we just dropping knowledge on you, Sam? Hey, do you ever know books about there was that trip or maybe there were two trips where we, the Wrangler Roots, we drove up to Seattle and then you had to fly back for work. Yeah. And so then we just had a straight drive back down, which is, I guess, a day and a half or two days if you do it with three people. And on one of those, we decided we were only going to eat at Taco Bell. And it had to be every Taco Bell. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's so Andy Coronado, yeah. And it was horrible. That was one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. Well, I mean, did you uh, honestly you think that, for that. that eating Taco Bell for three days straight would turn out to be something good? 
It really, when it started, it seemed like it was going to be like this crazy adventure for boys. <laughs> and like, our parents aren't around. This is it. But, uh, but the fact that it was every Taco Bell, regardless <laughs> of if you were hungry or not, that got really bad really quickly. Well, it's, it's, it's actually kind of funny. They, um, I have this uh, dessert. Like it's kind of like a pedophore thing that goes out. I have this like cheese grater box of stuff that comes out at the end of the meal, and one of the things is an olive oil gelato lollipop, and it's coated in chocolate, and then I, I coat that with a uh, toasted salted breadcrumbs. Um, so it's kind of like you know it's very sort of like highfalutin, fancy Italian s- dessert snack or whatever. Yeah. But I gave it to someone once, and um, I forget who it was. And uh, they ate it, and they're like, "They're like, dude, this tastes just like a Choco Taco," <laughs> and uh, oh, oh. and which I, which I thought was kind of funny and cool. And then uh, I've actually brought that up to other like other chefs, like talking about they'll they'll eat it, and I'll I'll, I'll say like, "Oh yeah, someone once compared it to a Choco Taco," and a lot of times they'll be like, "What's that?" And I was like, "I was like, you've never been to Taco Bell? Like, what do you mean?" <laughs> yeah, so I mean, some of the road food that you guys had on tour. Have you brought that back into the ki- kitchen, or are you more traditional making like Italian fare rather than? Uh, I mean, I, I see every every experience I've had food wise had definitely affects how I cook now. I can't say I'm like if you know eating at a eating at a uh, a Subway or a Taco Bell in the middle of Boise, Idaho, how that directly affects how I'm cooking now. But it, and there's a, a glimmer in the back, yeah. That, it, Something that I ate there, like a smell or like a, a taste or something, might get related back into what I cook at Del Posto. I mean, granted, it's much higher quality ingredients, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So. What are some of the desserts you have on the menu right now? Uh, I, mean, I mean, we try to, obviously, we try to stay as seasonal as possible. Um, this time of year is kind of rough because there's not a whole lot of stuff in season. Um, we've got really good squash. Um, I've got a, uh, I've got actually a really fun dessert right now, which is basically like a complete sort of bastardization ripoff of a very sort of classic um, um, pasta dish, which is pumpkin pumpkin ravioli with sage and brown butter and yeah. and amaretti cookies. Um, so I basically take the exact same flavors and then do it in a dessert form. Um, the gelato becomes sage, brown butter still exists on the plate, and then I take squash. Um, kabocha squash and roast it but I roast it in the oven without any sugar just olive oil salt and pepper um, just sort of letting like the natural sweetness of the squash kind of shine through without over sweetening it like I mean it's sweet enough it doesn't need to be candied um, and there's other sweet elements on the plate um, but that's kind of one of my like more favorite things that that's sort of of the season right now and uh, I also like it too because the whole reason that it even exists is that um, it's sort of out of laziness because I forget, I had I think what I had peaches and nectarines and they just instantly just went out of season at the market so I had to come up with something really quick and I'm just like walking around the kitchen like like shit what am I going to do like I need this dish like in the next couple of days and I was watching the guys on the pasta line and they were making this like pumpkin capalachi dish and I was like ah it's kind of sweet yeah, yeah. so just like worked out the different components and made a dessert out of it so and plus I like the sort of like the parallelism if if somebody does eat that as their pasta course, and then they get something for their dessert course that's kind of the same flavors but a little twisted. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think it's kind of funny. I mean, so. Have you ever tried to work with Chef Mark Ladner about doing maybe a three-course and three-course pairing where it's the same elements of three savory to three sweet dishes? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we like sort of like play off of each other constantly. Like, um, I rip off 
stuff from the savory menu all the time to the point where like we had an old sous chef and if he found me like rooting around like the, the vegetable walk-in, he'd be like, get, he'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. You're not allowed to use the fennel. Like we're using fennel. Don't, you're not allowed to use it. And I was like, come on, man. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing. Like um, we'll have sort of like dessert elements or components that are uh, like not, maybe not super sweet. And like, you know, chef Ladner will come over and like poke his head around. And the next thing you know, like that's on a uh, antipasti dish. So, yeah. Um, this is, you know, tangential a little bit, but Brooks was actually telling me before, you know, I asked him whether or not he listens to music while he works, uh, how that inspires and influences him. And he said, music's something very sacred to me. Um, and in the kitchen, it's almost complete silence. Uh, well, that's what I like. That, that's saying. what he likes. It isn't necessarily. Why is that? Well, I mean, if, if it's something, also I get, I get preoccupied, like, if I'm in, and here you go, Sam. I'm bringing it back in. If I if yeah. if I if I want to listen to Out of Step, then I can't listen to it while I'm working because I get too like kind of like worked up about it or into it, and then I'll just stop and like I'll stop working and I'll just I want to listen to you know I want to listen to the songs on Out of Step. So I got to do that after work. I can't I can't work and then listen to music that I like because it's a distraction. You know? Yeah. It's, it's yeah, like, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like you never cooked uh, while playing drums. Uh, although no, but that's funny because part of the thing, and, and I, know, I know I've probably mentioned this to Sam before, but I don't know if he remembers. Like, I like to practice a lot, like when I'm in a band, to the point where I kind of drive all the other band members crazy because <laughs> I want to practice every single day. Yeah, did um, you feel that way of him, Sam? Uh, I didn't have a vehicle, and I was living in Pomona, so I was frequently not always there for practices. <laughs> So, um, didn't me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like my whole thing is like, if I'm, if we have a song, I need to get that song so down that I don't have to think about it when I play, which is funny. Yeah, cause I have, oh, sorry. My phone cut out. Um, but, uh, the thing that I always like sort of thought of back, back then, or even now, like I have to get the song so down that when I'm playing it, I'm not counting. I'm not like in like a black metal band counting, like like structures to get to the next part. Like I'm playing the song, but I'm thinking about like making pizza or like cooking. It's usually pizza. Cause pizza, pizza to me is like the ultimate food. So it always relates back to pizza, <laughs> even though that has nothing to do with what I do now. Although a lot of the desserts that I make, I feel are influenced by pizza and New York city pizza specifically. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so the song has to be down so deeply ingrained that I don't have to think about it, that I can think about food. So yeah, I want to get back to this pizza thing. How? How how does it inspire? Wait a minute, that's kind of like someone just discovering that they're, um, you know, like some dude discovering that his ex girlfriend was faking her orgasms the whole time. You think you had like <laughs> you were thinking of pizza while you were playing songs while I'm up there, you know, pouring my heart out? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god! No, but, no, but he was thinking of pizza that would eventually uh, be thought of as dessert. But no, 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 because I was never really into dessert. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, it, I, I guess, I guess at Wrangler Brute stage, like I'd already, bec- I was already like a pastry cook or a sous chef, pastry sous chef or whatever. So yeah, I was thinking about dessert, but, uh, but it was always like pizza specifically. Like, yeah. I don't S- know. Sam, are you going to go back to all your old videos of Born Again's playing and just watch Brooke's face as he just thinks I'm going pizza? to need some time to process this. <laughs> <laughs> um. I wanted to talk about a song from, is it Men's Recovery Project? 
Um, Brooks, you were in that band? Uh, I was only on a couple of songs. He was a recording member. Yeah, he was yeah. recording. But Sam, you were in that band. Yeah. And was there a band called uh, Get Your Dick Out of My Food? Well, a song, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And did that have anything to do with food? Uh, it was all political allegory. Actually, there, there are a lot of MRP songs about food. There was a lot of food imagery in MRP yeah. songs. I'm not at liberty to talk about that. When uh, MRP played in Japan in 1999, um, there was one of the shows where I wasn't having, I was just having some little hissy fit, and so I wasn't talking to the other two fellows in the band, and I was sitting in the corner, and I realized, like, I picked the wrong show to not be talking to my bandmates, because I don't speak Japanese, and <laughs> one here is going to talk to me, and some guy comes up to me, and clearly didn't really know English. He goes, I really like... And then he made this hand gesture, ba-da-da-ba-da-da-ba, get dick out of food. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with me. But what was that... You had that one story about when the first time you guys were in Japan and the band, like, butchered a, a tuna on stage and, like, was, like, <laughs> handing out sashimi or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, See, yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't uh, eat fish at that point. And so everyone was talking about how it was the best they'd ever had um yeah i've forgotten all about that but was that like at like one of those like kind of the, those same venues like where wrangler roots played in japan like a like well, i'm sure it was one of the same venues yeah teeny tiny like the small like they were like all like uh they're really small and they were super soundproofed and they were in like shopping centers um underground but, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a temper tantrum, not by me, fortunately, that night, but someone else had a temper tantrum in our entourage, and I realized how incredibly small the space was at that point and how temper tantrums really are not part of the culture over there, and it was not cool. <laughs> <laughs> and we've gotten so amazingly far off course, but still somehow related to food and music that you see how... Bigger parts of this is, uh, you know, bigger parts of our lives, both these kind of poles are. Um, unfortunately, we're running out of time, too. I could talk to you guys forever. I might go back home, listen to some old Born Against, just to rehash the better days. But <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to thank you, Sam, for um, calling in. Really yeah, appreciate thanks that. Thanks for having me. Um, wanted to thank Brooks for being on the show. And if you've not been to Del Posto, at least stop by for a dessert tasting, if that's available. I need available. to go eat a meal at Del Posto at some point in my life. Yeah, what's yeah, what's up with that, Sam? I you've you've been in you've been in New York much several money times right now. <laughs> yeah, and you're on air. We're going to try to hold you know that hold you to it. Um, and I'm thinking when you're here, you guys should record some kind of pizza punk album because you know. That's all Brooks is thinking about when he's playing drums, anyway. No, but you can't. I mean, it's it's not. You can't like you can't compare the two. Although, I, Sam, I don't know if I told you this. Like, I had this. I I was going to do this one band for a while that never fully formed, but it was going to be me and Mick. So technically, that's oldest. But then we're trying to get uh, Sphenonius to sing, but we we're going to make him sing only about food. <laughs> I think you should make what? that happen. Uh. <laughs> um. But yeah, that didn't quite. We got as far as forming oldest, but uh, 
didn't get the uh, that part in. So I guess that's as close. Been rendered speechless many times in the last fourteen minutes. <laughs> hey, that's 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 the deal, dude. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks again, Sam Brooks, um, our sponsor, Fairway Market, our producer Jack Insley, engineer Nat Weiner, and uh, Heritage Radio Network dot com for hosting the food show. All listen right. in every Tuesday, three p.m. and. Uh, yeah, listen to Born Again. Cheers. Cheers.